Welcome to the One in One Podcast, where below-average podcaster chats with an above-average athlete. I'm your host, Bridget Bay. My guest today is Mike Oriema. If that last name sounds familiar, he's the son of Hall of Fame coach Gino Oriema, who's won 11 national titles at the University of Connecticut. But Mike has his own basketball story to share. He played at St. Joseph's from 2008 to 2010 and Assumption College from 2010 to 2012. We're going to hear all about his career and what it's like to have Gino as a dad. Mike, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So you grew up in Manchester, Connecticut, with two sisters, Alyssa and Jenna. What's the birth order of you guys? I'm the baby. Nice. Yeah, they're my two older sisters, so um, (laughs) I was surrounded by women, to put it lightly. (laughs) Alyssa, I follow her on Twitter. She's a great follow. She's got some funny tweets. Also really intelligent tweets, but some funny ones out there. Um, yeah, I mean, I've always said Alyssa is, I, I don't like to give her as much credit as she probably deserves. <laughs> Alyssa, Alyssa is probably the, the smartest person I've ever met in terms of just raw intelligence she is just an unbelievable brain uh, somebody that we we have a very um we're close but we, i think what makes us close is that we we disagree on everything <laughs> she's she's very um she's somebody that has always just been kind of living on a different level than everybody else she was all. She's always been like too smart for everybody else in the room. <laughs> so now she has finally found kind of her niche. Like, okay, now it's my turn to teach people like how smart I am. I like that. You my know. favorite. I don't know if it was a tweet. I or maybe she wrote an article. I know she's a writer. Or maybe she said it on someone's radio show. My favorite story is that when UConn lost, I, I believe it was in the 2011. Final Four, she was crying in the bathroom, and Diana Tarazi told went in and told her to get a grip. <laughs> yeah, no, that was um, that was actually no, 2011. That was what? No, so that was actually like 2002 or three when Diana was a freshman. So I, two, three, I think it was 2002, 2003 when we were in St. Louis, and um, so there's like an ongoing thing with. Uh, with both my sisters, when when they get nervous at the uh, at the final four games, they have this thing where they, they start to freak out and they can't they can't watch the game anymore. So they start to walk around the concourse <laughs> like they're like incapable of watching it. Um, so that game, when, when everything started to really kind of go to shit, <laughs> for lack of a better term, um, but yeah, almost yeah. I mean that. I mean. It's not surprising. I mean, that's both of them will do that. My mom will do that too. I mean, they all do that kind of. As soon as anything seems like it's going to go in the wrong direction, they kind of uh, they piece go out. into a shell. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I have to be the one as the only as the only male in the family. I have to. Well, the only other male in the family is the one that I can't talk to during the game. So. Yeah, true. <laughs> That's funny. There's, there's, not, there's not much of an outlet. There's nobody to talk to. <laughs> well, 
2017 and 2018 must have been difficult for the girls in your family. Yeah, those were tough. Um, <laughs> those games are hard to even like to even think about because the the amount of support from from former players and like the just the amount of the amount of of people that are there at all the final fours that are sitting in the same section at all those games and to watch it happen and then have to then after the game answer questions and have to all hang out and do all this stuff post game i think that actually makes it worse like that's that's the worst part is the after stuff because two straight years of that like you you lose on like a absolute heartbreaker and it's just you, you really don't know like who to turn to or like you know what i mean yeah. I, I don't even know how to describe it it's just like it's such a family environment that it, it just it's crazy yeah i mean i'm sure you guys get through those losses together yeah definitely definitely <laughs> So, growing up, were you and your sisters around Gamble Pavilion, the place where UConn plays a lot? Uh, yeah, I mean, me, me personally, I was, I was at Gamble. I was at every practice, every wow. day. I mean, that's uh, that's where I grew up. I was, um, I was shooting on the on the sidelines every day of every practice, um, working out with. Whether it be the the men's or women's team, I, I I lived at Gamble. That's awesome! What a cool way to grow up. Yeah, I mean it's it's uh, definitely something that um, you don't really realize what um, what you have until it's gone type thing. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm old and washed up, <laughs> I think back <laughs> on on. Uh, what it was like to, you know, drive to practice with my dad every day and just be on the sidelines, just, and I, CD, who, so Chris Daly, CD, his, his associate head coach, who's, they've been together since day one. She's actually my godmother. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, so uh, I think back on times when, you know, I'd be shooting on the and whenever my dad would, tell them to pick up the ball like I wasn't allowed to like that's when I had to pick up the ball I wasn't allowed to dribble because I, I couldn't make any noise mm-hmm. so CD would have to be the one to tell me like Mike stop dribbling <laughs> but like yeah I would literally just be on a side hoop just shooting by myself and then practice would end and I would just shoot around with you know Shea Ralph Sue Bird Diane like those people I mean those 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 people are the reason I worked out like the that they shaped my life as a basketball player. That's amazing. And was it encouraged by your dad to play basketball, or did he kind of back off and let you do your own thing? Um, yeah, no. Um, I was never encouraged to play basketball. I, um, from a young age, I, I was kind of like a, I wouldn't say a loner, but I was always, maybe it's because I have, two older sisters and I was the only boy and I wanted to make friends with other guys. Like I was always kind of like out on my own and like wanted to be, you know, like figure out stuff on my own. Mm -hmm. Um, so I played, I played everything growing up, like, and it just 
it just happened to be that basketball was my favorite sport. There was never, like, I could have played piano and my dad would have been like, just just try to be the best piano player you can be. Like, it had nothing to do with with basketball. Like, there was never any influence on it. I just loved basketball and, and still do. Nice. Yeah, and that's great that he would have been all in on whatever it was that you were passionate about. Yeah, and that's kind of been, um, I mean, that's kind of what has driven or kind of what's built his story is the same type of thing. It's like he's, he's, not, he's not the best basketball coach ever because he has, like, this unbelievable passion for basketball, which he does. But that's not why. It's because whatever he was going to do, he was going to be all in and be the most passionate about. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what he instilled in me. He's like, I don't care what you do, but whatever you do, you got you to gotta be all in. You got to be try to be the best at whatever it is you decide to try to be the best at. And that's great advice, especially coming from someone that has 11 national championships at a sport. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's kind of crazy. How that has... <laughs> and you said that you played other sports growing up too. What other sports did you play? Uh, growing up, I played pretty much everything. I played, um, I played baseball, golf. I still play golf, um, soccer. But by the time I was like, I don't know, like twelve, thirteen, I kind of had to make a decision, like what sport do I want to play, like, moving forward? Mm-hmm. And I was just, like, I, I just liked basketball the most, so I just chose basketball. Nice. And your dad actually coached your AAU basketball team. What age was it at? Uh, that started when we were in sixth grade, so I was, I was like, 12, 13. Okay. And I'm actually pretty surprised he had time to do that because even though the AAU season isn't during UConn season, there's so much recruiting that goes on in the off season. That was really nice that he was able to also coach your team. Yeah, it was kind of crazy. Like he, he definitely um, missed out on a lot of obligations that he should have been dedicating himself to, to, you know, to help out and kind of, shift his you know his his obligation to to our team and he kind of just put his coaching staff in charge of recruiting stuff because he uh he wanted to coach our team that's awesome that's a great dad yeah it was uh well yeah other than when you know getting you know getting benched by your dad is not exactly the best feeling but Ooh. <laughs> Yeah, how did he coach your team? Did he coach you guys the same way he coaches the UConn girls? Yeah, for sure. For <laughs> sure. Um, it's, a, <laughs> it's, a, it's a coaching style that um, unless you understand that he's only the hardest on the people that he expects the most out of, like he, he'll never challenge He'll never challenge somebody that he doesn't think you're capable of doing what he's challenged you of. Mm-hmm. When you really need to be worried is when he stops yelling at you. Because that's yeah. when you're like, that's when you're like, oh, I suck. Because if I didn't suck, he'd be yelling at me right now. Like, like 
it's kind of hard to explain. Like, no, no, I totally understand it, though. Does that make sense? It he absolutely only, does. I know he, he yelled at Diana Taurasi a lot. Yeah, like, he would tell you, like, nobody got kicked out of more practices than Diana Taurasi, <laughs> Sue Bird, Maya Moore. All his best players are the ones that got kicked out of the most practices. <laughs> because funny. He, he gives the most responsibility to the ones that are supposed to kind of obtain the most responsibility. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this. How much did he yell at you on that AAU team? Oh, the most. Oh, then you were pretty good. Well, I was also coach. I was the coach's son. So, I mean, I wasn't the best player on our team, but I was the captain of the team. So he had to, you know, sometimes you got to make a point. (laughs) Yeah. But still, I mean, like you said, if he's not yelling at you, you should be worried. So you must have been pretty good, too. Yeah, I, was, I mean, I was, yeah, I was okay. Oh, I definitely wasn't our best player. How was the team overall? We were really good. We had, uh, I mean, our whole starting five were a bunch of Division One, Division Two players. Um, we were really good. I think the fact that having, <laughs> not, not to pump my dad's tires, because I don't like to give him more credit than he already has gotten, but... Him being our coach definitely made us better than we would have been without him being our coach. Yeah, a good coach uh, goes a long way. Yeah, for sure. Um, we, 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 were, we were very good. And Aaron Hernandez was a teammate of yours on that team. How close were you two? Uh, we, were, we were very close. He was, uh, he was my roommate for six years, five, six years. Um, we were very close. Uh, so, you know, I, I imagine when everything came out in the news, it was pretty shocking for you. Yeah, it was tough. Um, things went a little sideways um, after his father died, and we, we kind of lost touch uh, a couple years after that. Um, so seeing how everything has kind of gone down since then, it's definitely been tough because, I mean, even my dad is, has been quoted in newspapers and stuff um, just about Aaron, you know, once he was playing for, you know, playing for the Patriots and doing all, all the good things that were happening. Mm-hmm. And then when all the bad things started happening, um, I think everybody here that grew up with him, we all kind of collectively – didn't really know how to respond. Like I, I, I can't tell you how many phone calls and interviews that I turned down just because I just didn't, I just didn't want to be a part of it because me personally, I, I like to, I want to remember Aaron as the kid, the Aaron that I knew mm-hmm. and the Aaron that ended up being all this stuff. That's not the Aaron that I knew, so I like to remember him as the one that I knew. And when all these outlets try to ask me all these questions about stuff, about like I don't, I don't, a I don't have the the answers to those questions because yeah, of course not. Like I said, we lost touch, but like I think of the kid that I used to share a hotel room with when we were. 16 and you know just joke around and 
I remember him as like that most happy go lucky, like great kid. So like I'm 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 not gonna I don't know, like talk about him in a different light. You know yeah, I mean? and nor should you, because you didn't know that Aaron. Right. I remember him the way I remember him and I, I think you know, all all of us, a whole group of friends, I think they all think the same way. Yeah, and I think it's okay to still have those good memories of someone who then, unfortunately, goes on to commit bad acts. I think that's okay that you have those good memories. Right. I, I think it's also important to to acknowledge, um, you know, what what like personal things that can happen in somebody's life that makes them change as a human being. Like, I didn't. We, we lost touch after everything happened with, you know, his father dying and, like, everything, and mm-hmm. everything really went awry, and um, that, that that's not the person that I knew, not the person I got close with, so I, I personally like to think, I like to think of him as the person I remember, because I never knew the person that was capable of the things that he apparently did, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And it does seem, now I don't know him, I didn't know him, obviously, but from watching some documentaries on it, it does seem like once his father passed away, that's when things, you know, did go awry, and maybe in a world where his dad doesn't die, things turn out differently for him. Yeah, who knows, you know? Um, But I I don't think, at his core, I don't think Aaron Hernandez was a bad person. Would be my. I don't think he was naturally bad. I actually think he was good. A lot of bad things happened, and a lot of bad was instilled in him. And I think he was very confused. And I guess I'll leave it at that. I, 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 it it ended obviously very poorly, and it, there, there's nothing really more you can say. I just like to remember him as the kid I remember him as. And you should. And I appreciate you for opening up and talking about that. I know it must be difficult. Yeah, no, it, yeah, it is. Um, yeah, because we, we were very close. And um, like I said, we were, we were roommates. Like, we basically lived together for five years. And um, like I said, when, when watching, like, the, that Netflix documentary and just seeing everything that's come out, um, I just like to just think about the kid that I knew and not try to fill my brain with a bunch of stuff that is going to make me remember him in a different light. Yeah. Yeah, you should stay away from those documentaries. Yeah, it was tough, but I felt like I needed to watch it. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I am sorry for your loss. Obviously, he committed suicide in jail, and I'm sorry for that loss. I appreciate that. Moving on, you attend East Catholic High School in Manchester, where you play varsity basketball. So I have to ask, were you a bit of a marked man due to your last name? Like, whether it be other teams trash-talking you or crowds, like, chanting things at away games? Did any of that happen? Yeah, I used to get yeah, yeah. I used to get I used to get a bunch of stuff. Anything like Gino's better? Come on, give me some. 
we were playing a state tournament game down at Morgan, which is in Clinton. I think I was, it was sophomore year. And the students, they were so, they, they had, their student section was like on the court, basically. Like, they had like those type of bleachers that were like, like the front row was on, like basically on the sidelines. Oh, wow. So we're just going through layup lines, like 20 minutes before the game, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I, I feel somebody tugs on my jersey. And this kid, I don't, I, I don't know if you, He's probably like 16, whatever. He just pulls on my jersey and he just goes, hey, F, F, like, hey, F word. Mm-hmm. Like, your dad sucks. <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like, what does that have to do with, like, what? Like, <laughs> did you, like, you really, you really felt the need to, like, how, how, are, how is that benefiting you? Like, what is, like, what do you get out of that? Yeah, that's that's like, obnoxious. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's and I used to get stuff like that. Like, people used to say like Calhoun's better. <laughs> like, okay, fine. Like, my dad's not my coach. Like, <laughs> like whatever. And is he? Well, they both just won the national championship. So, is anybody really better? Yeah, they're both pretty good. <laughs> so I always just took it with a grain of salt and like. I don't know. I would always just laugh it off. Like I don't know. That's good. I mean, that's really the only thing you can do because kids are going to be jerks. Yeah, I mean, I can tell you a lot more stories, but I don't know if it's appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll leave it at that. But I can only imagine. Yeah, I used to get a lot of stuff. Yeah. How often would your dad be able to attend games? Uh, more than you would think, I would say. Like, um, especially my senior year, when when we were really making a run he actually started skipping his own practices to come to, to my games. Wow. And he would have, yeah. He would have Chris, Chris daily run, run practice and stuff. Um, especially like when, when it got to the state tournament and if he just didn't want to not be there, if it was going to be my last game. Yeah. Like, like he didn't, he didn't want my career to end and him not to be there. So, um, he he told the team he was like, like Mike, you know, Mike has a game tonight. Um, I know, I know, we're supposed to practice at six, whatever. But um, I don't, I don't want to, to miss out on potentially his last game. So I definitely appreciated that. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. You had an outstanding career at East Catholic. You were first team All State and All Northwest Conference first team as a senior. You averaged 15 points as a junior and then 20 points as a senior. You ended up scoring over a thousand points. Were conference playoff MVP in 2007, and you won three Northwest Conference titles while you were there. It's pretty amazing. Wow, you did your research. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's what um, I'm here for. Yeah. Good job. Um, I was actually conference player of the year. Not... Oh, my bad. All right, I was wrong. Good for no, you. That's even better. Conference player of the year? Yeah, make sure you bring that up if you ever interview Tim Aramidas or Chris Prescott because I like, <laughs> to, rub, I like to rub it in both their faces. <laughs> nice. But, um, yeah, you know, I was, um, I was lucky enough to play for, I mean, 
other than my father, I, I mean, he is the best. I mean, the best coach anybody could ever ask for. I mean, it goes so like the the culture that has been built at East Catholic. It goes so much further than just basketball. It's he builds. He he teaches you how to be a young man and. The things that we that we do at East, I I know for a fact, no nobody else is doing the things that we do. Um, so much. I mean, he is he's a father figure to all of us, and the time and the and the dedication that he has to every single player that he, that comes through that program is second to none. It is he is a next level human being and it's i i can only hope that when if i do if i'm lucky enough to have a son i want him to to play for luke gravity nice yeah hopefully he's still coaching by then but you seem to have a lot of great coaches in your life yeah yeah you think i would uh a little more coachable with all these good coaches <laughs> You hit a game winner your junior year, too, didn't you? Yeah, down at Harding, or at Brantford, we beat Harding, yeah. Nice. Was it a three? I was it a two? Point. What happened? It was a three. Uh, we ran diagonal. It was actually the only shot I made the whole game. Hey, well, you waited for the best moment. Yeah, I was coming off an ankle. I, just, I was coming off of a really bad ankle injury, and uh, Harding was was unbelievable and their best player sure <laughs> actually ended up being my teammate at St. Joe's so he was player of the year in Connecticut that year and uh we kind of held the ball the whole game like we were doing our like all right we're like a lot less athletic than you guys so we're we're gonna just hold the ball for the whole game and uh yeah I didn't shoot a shot the whole game and um there was like 40 seconds left, and I don't know. I just let it fly, and uh, ended up being the game winner. I yeah, I have that net. It's actually in my childhood bedroom. That's so awesome. I shouldn't say, shouldn't say I have it. My mom has it. She won't let me take it home. Oh, I'm sure she's proud of you. She wants it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. She certain things she won't let me take. <laughs> now, what was the, re- the recruiting process like for you? My recruiting process? Yep. Um, mine was kind of weird because, um, like going into my senior year, I had a bunch of, a bunch of, um, like Ivy Leagues, Patriot League schools that were, um, you know, very hard on me. And then I wasn't good enough in school to, to go to a school like that. But then I had a really good senior year, so I ended up committing to the University of Hartford like halfway through my senior year. But then the second half of my senior year went so well that I ended up decommitting from Hartford, and that's how I ended up going to prep school. So um, I kind of, I kind of like, de- like almost like, went against the recruiting process because like, I just didn't um, 
almost didn't acknowledge the schools that like really wanted me to go there. Because I thought I always thought I was better than the schools that were recruiting me. So you went, as you said, you went to prep school. It was the Hun School in Princeton, New Jersey. So you played there for a year, and then at that point, other schools were recruiting you from the Hun School, right? Uh, yeah, at first, but then I I got hurt again, and then I ended up um, basically ending up with the the same the same opportunities that I had coming out of high school. Now, let me ask you this. Was there an opportunity for you to walk on the UConn men's team ever? Uh, no, I never even considered that, no. Okay. Did you just want to do your own thing, sort of get out of your dad's shadow? Uh, no, I'm, I mean, it has nothing to do with my dad. I just, um, I had no relationship with with coach at the time and uh yeah no UConn was never a never a consideration okay so you choose to become a walk-on for St. Joe's University in Philly where your dad grew up is your mom from Philly too yes nice so yeah what was it about St. Joe's that led you to go there um yeah so Phil Martelli is uh is my dad's best friend they actually they went to high school together, and they ended up coaching at their high So Phil was the, the varsity coach at Bishop Kenrick, where they both went to high school. And my dad was the JV coach. Well, oh, wow. I think actually the freshman and JV coach. And then Phil got the job at St. Joe's, and my dad got the women's job. So they, they go way back. Um, so I thought of it as, like, I can't go play for my dad because I'm not a girl. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the the next best thing is go play for Phil because he's you know ever since I was a little kid he was always kind of like a like an uncle, second dad, whatever you want to call it. Um, he, you know he took care of me and I wasn't really happy with um, my recruiting process because I got hurt and I I, I wasn't gonna go somewhere that I thought I was capable of. So my thought process was like, I might as well go play for something that I consider like a, a, a good environment and something that I'm going to remember for the rest of my life type thing. Yeah. Yeah. Phil Martelli, excellent coach. He was at St. Joe's as head coach for 24 seasons. He's now on staff with, with Michigan. And, you know, I'd ask what it's like to play for such a legendary head coach, but, I mean, Gino was your AAU coach, so this was probably no big deal to you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, jeez, uh, you're pumping my dad's tires a lot. Like, <laughs> All right, I'll stop. No, it's fine. It's Shane, just don't let him listen to this, because like, <laughs> the last thing he needs is more people telling him how great he is. <laughs> but, um, no, um, like I said, like, I met Phil, or Coach Martelli, whatever you want to say, uh, when I was... I don't know, four or five years old, like going to his camps and stuff. And like I said, like the reason I went there is because he was the coach. That, like there was, I knew he always had my best interest in mind. And it was the the next best thing to, to playing for my dad. And the the similarities 
between the two of them in terms of how they run run a program, how they interact with the individuals on the team. It's you, you can tell that they that they grew, you know, they kind of grew their coaching pedigrees together. You, you know, it, mm-hmm. they they were clearly influenced by the same type of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I have a lot of respect for St. Joe's. My dad played baseball at Villanova, and he follows all their sports teams, particularly basketball. So my family, we, you know, we like the Big Five Conference. We watch all those games. They're great. Oh, Jay, Jay, yeah, Jay Wright guy. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure your mom's a Jay Wright guy. Well, you know, it's funny. My mom is not super into sports. <laughs> So I, I don't. She, she couldn't Wright. pick Jay Wright out if she was sit, standing next to him in the grocery store. I don't know that she'd know who he was. But my dad, but bet, me, my brothers, I bet, you, we all would. I bet you if you were like that's Jay Wright, she'd be like, oh, I think I like him. Oh, she definitely would. I'm sure she would. He's a handsome guy. <laughs> he is. He is. He is a. He's always got. He's got the best suits. Oh yeah, his suit game is on point. And he's got like the perfect salt and pepper. Yeah, he looks great. He look, He's like a George he Clooney. Like, he look, yeah, he looks like what my dad used to look like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's not going to like that one. That's okay. He's old. <laughs> so you spend two seasons at St. Joe's, although you don't see much playing time. Was that the biggest reason you decided to transfer? Um, yeah, for sure. Um, so I went to St. Joe's knowing that it was probably unlikely that I was going to play. I went there for the experience, not really taking into consideration what it was like not to play. Like I had never not played before. Yeah. I, I had never sat there and, and, and been on a team that I, I had no personal impact on the outcome of the game. Mm -hmm. And I thought, that my, you know, my love for, for Coach Martelli and for St. Joe's and, and what I thought was going to be the experience, I thought maybe that could outweigh what it was like to play. And then once I was sitting there and not only were we losing, but I, I had no impact on the outcome of the game, I was like, I can't do this. Like, I have to play. Yeah, yeah, it's got to be hard. Yeah, because when you when you go from every game you've ever played in, you have a direct impact on the outcome of that game. To now going to you have zero impact on the outcome of the game. It's a tough thing. Like, it's easy to to like preemptively be like, "Oh, I just want to, you know, I want to go do this. I'll 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 pay my dues, whatever." But it's it's hard. Like when you're, when you're not playing, it's like when you go from, from only playing to not playing, the only way to even, to even comprehend it is to go through it. And I thought I was strong enough to, to deal with it. I thought I was a good enough teammate to be like, I can watch this go on, but I wasn't. I, I needed to play. I, I missed playing. That's why I left. Yeah, and I, I honestly want... don't blame you because four years of college basketball, you're putting in a lot of work. And if you're not seeing any playing time where you could transfer and go somewhere else and play, I don't blame you. 
yeah, I mean, I just, yeah, I just wanted, I just wanted to play. I just wanted to, I just wanted to have an impact on, on the outcome of, of everything. I wanted to feel more a part of everything. You know, I just yeah. wanted to be a part of everything. Not the, not to say I wasn't a part of our teams at St. Joe's. I'm, I'm still close friends with all the guys I played with there, but I mean, it, it, you can Google it. Like, I, I didn't play. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I was I was practicing every, like practicing every day and and you know work like working doing all the same stuff. But um, as much as I love those guys, like I I I just told everybody I was like I need to I need I need to go go get minutes somewhere. Yeah. So you transfer from Division One to Division Two, so you don't have to sit out a year. You go to Assumption College in Worcester, Massachusetts. Why did you sign up on Assumption? Um, that was actually kind of—I'm not going to say decided for me, but it was. Um, I mean, it kind of was decided for me. I, uh, I I got I got called by they kind of called my my assistant coach. Um, once I decided that I was leaving a bunch of the coaches that, that had recruited me prior to, to going to St. Joe's started calling, you know, the, the staff at, mm-hmm. at St. Joe's and, um, assumption just happened to be my, my best friend from home was at assumption. Uh, another one of my good friends was on the team. So it kind of just made sense. That's cool. Assumption is in the Northeast 10 Conference, which is a really skilled basketball conference. And I actually had Roy Mabry on the podcast a few months ago, and he played at St. Anselm's. Yeah, I know. uh, Mabry's probably a name you don't like much. No, the name I don't like is Bodinay. But Mabry is basically, he was like the second coming of of Tom Bodinay, who's from Connecticut. Yeah. Oh, okay. Did you guys play? I, I thought you were a little bit older than Roy, but did the years ever align? No, I didn't play against Roy. Um, but the kid before him, Tom Bodenay, I think Roy actually ended up breaking his scoring record or his three-point record or whatever. Um, no, Roy maybe was a hell of a player. Um, I don't think we played against each other. Okay. He did prep school for a year too. Your your stories are a little bit similar. Yeah, where do you go, uh, Northfield? Ooh, you know what? Or, I forget. Uh, no, Winchenden maybe, uh, or uh, or Worcester Academy, something like that. Something I totally forget. Yeah, I mean, like the Division Two thing is is something that, like me now as thirty one year old, like looking back on. If I could give eighteen-year-old myself advice, I would have, I would have gone to like an assumption or a Saint Anselm's out of high school. But I was, I was so dead set on like I, I, I'm a Division One player. Like I was so stubborn. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I'm, I'm gonna play Division One. Whereas, and now I, I give a bunch of kids especially like at East Catholic, like the advice I give them is go where 
you're actually not where you're wanted, but where you're needed because you don't know what it's like to not play. Like you, you think, and it's not really a bad quality to have. It actually is a good thought process to think like, Oh, I want to earn my time. I want, I want to be a good teammate and I'll sit there and, and cheer on my team and I'll, I'll play whatever minutes I get. But like you don't know what it's like to not play until you're not playing. Yeah. Because when you go to one of those, when when you go somewhere where you have to like, quote unquote, earn your spot, when you when you're sitting there not playing, and not only that, now you've lost more games in a season than you lost in your whole four year career of high school, <laughs> and you have no input on the outcome of the games. It's a really it's an eye-opening feeling because you're like, what am I, I have? I have no, I have no input on anything. Like, there's nothing I can do. You just feel helpless, mm-hmm. and that that's why I, that's why I ended up leaving, and going to assumption. And that also is, you were to ask me like, like, do you have any regrets in your life? I regret disregarding all this those division two schools, division three schools that were recruiting me because they actually were begging me. Like they were like, we need, like you will do this. We need you as opposed to me trying to prove to division one schools why they need me. These ones were like, we do need you. Mm -hmm. Division two basketball. They're really skilled players. Obviously you, as you saw, you played two years and then Division three also, I had Derek Grant on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. He's a, oh, yeah, he's a Harlem Globetrotter. Oh, yeah. Good point. Yeah. I mean, especially like the conference I played, like the any 10 like 90% of that league, like those guys, they're, they're Division one players. They're either guys that transferred in from Division one or they're guys that they'd rather go be the best player at an assumption than go try to prove themselves at Monmouth. Like, mm-hmm. like we beat Holy Cross when I was at Assumption. Like, Holy wow. Cross is Division One. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, like, the, the, discrepancy, like, the discrepancy is not, it's not, a, it's not a big gap. And I think what a lot of high school kids convince themselves of, they're like, they fall in love with with Division One, like, and I and I'm saying that from someone that did that. Like that's why I went to prep school. I went to prep school because I was like, I'm a Division One player. Like I'm I'm playing Division One mm-hmm. when I should have just gone where I was wanted, needed. Yeah. Yeah, and even my brother, he was getting offers from D1 schools and wanted to go D1. Then he tore his ACL, unfortunately, and went D3 and still had an outstanding career. Oh, where did he play? He played at the College of New Jersey with Derek Grant, actually. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's another camp there. Nice, yeah. Yeah, it was a good four years. Good school. Are you from down there? Well, I'm from more North Jersey, so I live closer to the city. Um, TCNJ is more uh, towards, oh, as you know, towards Princeton. So you play two years at Assumption in 2010 to 2011 and 2011 to 2012. 
and you got a lot more playing time than you did at St. Joe's. So give me some of the highlights of your assumption career. So even, I mean, my assumption career was, was kind of, was kind of a weird start because right after I signed my, my letter, um, I got in a car accident and broke and broke my neck. Ooh. So that, yes. Then I had to tell my new coach that, uh, I couldn't work out for the whole summer. Um, so that first year was kind of, kind of weird, I guess I would say, because I wasn't, I wasn't the player that, that they expected me to be. Well, yeah. After a broken neck, thank God you're yeah. okay. Yeah. Thank you. I, uh, it actually it ended up being um, a lot less serious than it could have. Been. It could have been a lot worse. Sure. But um, but yeah, my time at Assumption was 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 kind of weird because, like I said, um, I feel like I was when I got there or before I got there, I was expected to be something, and then the injury happened, and then I never really got back to what I was before that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of changed my mentality to let me just try to be like the best teammate and, you know, just enjoy, you know, th- this next two years um, for what they are. Mm-hmm. And then our coach ended up retiring after the first year. So we got a new coach the second year. And I, I, I actually ended up, playing more my second year and I was actually playing pretty well. And then I got hurt again, hurt my ankle. And, um, at that point I, I, I kind of, honestly, I, I kind of, I'm not going to say mailed it in, but I, I started thinking like more bigger picture. Like I'm almost more concerned. I was almost more concerned about just enjoying the experience rather than like trying to be like, I don't know, like a, like a professional basketball player, like taking basketball to the next step. Like at that point, I kind of knew basketball wasn't going past that year. Mm-hmm. So I, I really dedicated more of my time to just enjoying my time with my teammates and like the locker room time and like all the other stuff that goes like goes along with being a part of a team. Yeah. Because I... Like I wasn't the best, like I was, I wasn't like one of the best, but you know, I played like 15, 20 minutes. I'm I'm sure you, I know you did all your research. (laughs) What what did I play like 16 minutes a game or something like that? You know, I don't know about the minutes per game, but I know you played in most games. I know you played in 28 your senior year and then 27 out of 28 your junior year. So you got time. I know your career high was 16. Oh yeah, it was a good game. Yeah, it, it, exactly. Like I mean, I I played every game, and three of my teammates are in are in my wedding. Actually, my closest friend on the team, my buddy Timmy, is actually is marrying me and my fiance in September. He's he's literally marrying us. Oh, nice! You guys um, are getting married in September. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Um. But like I, I actually like specifically remember us being in, in our apartment together, and I was just like so banged up. And I said to him, I was like, "Timmy, like 
I'm way more concerned at this point of just like I just want to enjoy this like this run because once this season's over, like like basketball is over for me. Like I can't do this anymore. Like I was just so banged up and it it it, it was kind of just a tough a tough thing to go through because when your body gives up on you, it's it, it's hard to kind of like calculate your brain to your body because your brain wants you wants to do one thing but your body is telling you like it can't yeah and it seems like you did have a lot of injuries throughout your career i did yeah i I had um obviously i mean the biggest one being when i broke my neck but um absolutely in high school i uh I broke both my ankles in high school. I broke my wrist. But, um, I mean, I recovered from those, but I think it just got to the point where I was, like, my 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 love for the game of basketball never, like, faltered. Mm-hmm. But my ability to do it did. So then I was like, how can I kind of, like, supplement the two things right like yeah how like how can i make myself still be okay with not being as good as i like the output is not going to be as good as it should be because i'm just not capable of it anymore Mm -hmm. so that's when i started to think about like all right what's coming like what's coming next yeah, and I think it's good that you you had fun with it. You know, as you said, you focus on being a good teammate and enjoying the ride, enjoying the locker room stuff because you don't get that stuff back. Yeah, like I mean, we have a group text that I mean, especially in a time like right now, with, with, <laughs> with like, the coronavirus. We're, we're all just sit, yeah, yeah, we're just all sitting around trying to avoid you know, the, the, the the five of us that have wives are uh, trying to avoid them at all costs so we, uh, <laughs> you know we we sit around and talk about what it used to be like and well and the common denominator is that we talk about what we miss the most it's not it's not like the plays we used to run or like the you know we I don't think about like the game like we all talk about being in the locker room and mm-hmm. and just like the stupid stuff we used to do <laughs> and, and bus rides and stuff like that. Like those are the things that, that you miss, right? It's yeah, like, exactly. it's, uh, just the, the routine and the, and the camaraderie is, is what, and kind of being a part of a group that has a, a you know, they're, they're reaching towards a goal. Mm-hmm. And you don't even really realize it until you're not around those people anymore. And then you're like, damn, remember when, remember when we all lived together and we would sit around and eat, you know, eat sandwiches and and talk about like that game against Bentley, like, (laughs) but you don't, you don't really appreciate it until after. Yeah. Yeah. You're right on that. And how often were your parents able to see your games at Assumption? Oh, my mom never missed a game. My mom never missed a game. Like that's awesome. My sophomore year at St. Joe's, I, I redshirted my sophomore year at St. Joe's, so I couldn't even play. And my mom still came to every game. 
<laughs> oh, that's amazing. She probably missed some Yukon games for your games. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> nice. Was your dad ever able to make it to a college game? Uh, yeah, yeah. He came to... Um... Yeah, he came to a couple. I'm trying to think. Uh, he came when we played. When we played Villanova, I mean, he would he would always come as, if it fit into his schedule. You know, he had his own schedule going. But yeah, like yeah, of course. If it fit in like into his, he would come. But um, my two older sisters, they always make fun of me because um, they call me Golden Child because my mom, like I said, like I wasn't. I wasn't even like like legally allowed to play in the games. Yeah, when you're redshirting. Yeah, and my mom would drive four and a half hours just to sit in the palestra and and watch and watch us play. Oh, Um, that's very sweet of her. Yeah, and then take me out to dinner. Nice. Yeah, she wanted to see you. Yeah, no, I'm her only boy. So. (laughs) So you graduate in 2012. I have to ask, was becoming a coach something you ever saw in your future? No, never. I knew that from a young age. And I think that's good that you you didn't necessarily just want to do what your dad did. You had dreams of your own. And I'm sure your dad was supportive of that. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's a combination of that. And I was so uncoachable that there's no way I could have coached anybody else. (laughs) You would have gotten a, a taste of your own medicine, I feel like. Yeah, maybe. I just, um, I've always thought about if I were to go into coaching, I would rather be on, like, the, like, player development level. Like, I, I would never want to be a head coach. Mm-hmm. I would rather be, like, because, like, when I think about me as a player, I always hated my head coaches, but I always had a, and I, I, I Honestly, I feel like I don't know how many Basketball, play, basketball players you've interviewed, but I guarantee you, however many basketball players you've talked to, guarantee you, they're, they were all tighter with their assistant coaches than their head coaches. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. They're, yeah, because the assistant coach is like your, he's like your boy. Like he, yeah, he's, he's a good cop. Yeah, he's a good cop. Whereas the head coach is the guy, like you don't want to go in coach's office. You want to go in you know, whatever his name is. You want to sit in the other room. Yeah. And I always wanted to be, like, a part of, like, player development. But, um, yeah, no, I never, I have never, ever in my life even considered being, like, running my own program or anything like that. No, never. Yeah. Plus, with that name, it would be a lot to live up to. Yeah. Yeah, like... You'd always be getting compared to Gino. Right. Like, I already dealt with that as a player. Like, I can't, can't imagine what that would be like as a coach. Like, yeah. he wasn't even a player. So, it's like, and I already got that as a player. Like, imagine being a coach. Like, he, he sucked. As, he wasn't even a player. <laughs> so, it's like, yeah, I can't imagine that. But, no, yeah. I was uncoachable, so I couldn't be a coach. <laughs> so... Gino Oriema, he's someone that's never been afraid to speak his mind. Do you think you have that same personality? Yeah, I mean, to a certain extent. I would say that's a good question. <laughs> um, yes, but 
my dad and I are very similar in terms of like, and I learned this from him. And you could like, there's a reason that every like every player that's played like Diana, Sue, Maya, there's a reason they all, Rebecca Lobo, Nikisha, all of the, there's a reason they all come back and support him so much. Mm-hmm. As hard as he is on all of them, and as much as he jeeks his mind to all of them, they all know that it comes from a place of of love, and they also know that he's there for them. Yeah. And I think what makes it so genuine is that's how he, he treats all of his relationships, and that's how... I treat all of my relationships because I learned that from not only my father, but my mom. And you ask any of those same people I just mentioned, who, who we really should be talking about is my mom. And you ask any player that played for my dad, Mrs. A, is that she, run, she runs everything. Mrs. <laughs> a, she runs everything. But I think the common denominator would be that's what they taught me was be good and you'll get good back. So you're, and you're only hardest on the people that you expect the most out of. Mm-hmm. So, so yes, I, I would say I, I'm definitely, I have a little bit of that, like, like MFR type of attitude, or like, mm-hmm. not only, what's a better word? Like, like I need it out of you type of attitude, yeah. but but it, it it always comes from a place of of love. So yes, I I would say I do have that type of attitude. Well, that's a but, good quality you got from him. Yeah, and and I think the perfect example of of how successful he has been is not it's not the national championships. It's not you know how many All Americans he's had. It's not that. It's the fact that. Every year at the Final Four, Sue Bird, Diana Taurat, every player that he's coached is front and center at like supporting everything that they're doing. They're they they come over to my parents like they are they have personal relationships with my mom and my like mm-hmm. they like that is that's true coaching. Like that's Absolutely. building relationships. That's it's more than coaching. It's it's building. It's realizing that you're taking on somebody as an 18 year old, and and building it up until somebody like a Subert or a Dinosaur who are 35, 36 years old, but they still they still feel the need to every time they're you know like they have full blown relationships. Like those are like. They're like family members. That's and awesome. That's, that, that's what has been built, and that's important. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. As for some of Gino's controversial remarks in the media, you know, this past season, he called his players dummies in a press conference after a loss. A few years ago, he said men's college basketball was a joke and very far behind, behind the times. And he sometimes gets into it with players on the opposing team. So when this happens, as his son, 
Are you like, come on, dad, can't you just like be quiet? Or are you always 100% supportive of it? <laughs> I mean, it's a combination of both. Like, there's, <laughs> there's stuff she does, so I'll be like, yeah, what are you doing? And he'll be like, he'll be like yeah, that was, that was good, right? Like, there, there's times where he'll do something just like specifically to like get a rise out of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he definitely does that. Yeah, but like the stuff with, um, stuff with like blowing the rim or calling his players, calling his players dummies, like that's that's pretty low on the scale of stuff that <laughs> he has said. Do I call him out or anything? Um, I don't call him out because I like I have nothing to say to him. Mm-hmm. Like, what am I going to tell him? Yeah. You know, it's all calculated. Yeah, no, you're right. Like, he he has a better idea of how people are going to react to all this stuff than I do. If anything, he's just going he's to just, he's just text me and be like, see what I did? <laughs> That's funny. That was funny, right? So much of what he does is... is him like kind of like just messing with people like yeah just to get a rise out of out of somebody like I think it was last year when he he made the comment or maybe two years ago I think he made that comment about um uh, or I think he reacted to somebody asking him if it was like bad that they they lost again in the final four and he's like what am I supposed to do when we when we win every game, we're bad for basketball. When when we lose in the final four twice in a row and at a on a buzzer beater, somehow we're still bad. So like what am I supposed to do? <laughs> like what are we supposed to do? Yeah, no, that was uh that wasn't really a fair question to be asked. Exactly. So it's like and I feel like I see both sides of it. It's hard to it's hard to feel bad. For my dad, things have gone pretty well, but <laughs> but when when you see something like that happen, I do feel bad for him because when they have Brianna and they win a hundred and whatever, hundred and eighteen games in a row, all he hears is that they're ruining college basketball, women's college basketball, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, oh my God, nobody, they're not giving anybody else a chance. They're just winning every game, whatever. And then now, this year, they have a quote-unquote bad year because they lost, what, three games? Yeah, I think just three. Yeah, to the top three teams in the country. (laughs) So now he's like, oh, we finally have, like, not even, like, a regular season, but, like, they lost three games. And now, so, like, He's wrong if he does that, and he's wrong if he wins every game. So, like, what are you supposed to do? <laughs> yeah, I hear you. It's, like, case by case, honestly. Like, there's times where I'll, like, something will come out, and I'll be like, yo, what are you doing? And he'll be like, yeah, like, he he's very calculated in his responses to to every question. Like, he doesn't... He doesn't answer any of those questions without knowing what the possible outcome will be. 
and he also knows what the outcome will be based on his question or his answer. Yeah. So everything is very, very calculated. So He's a calculated guy. Yeah, that's that's to say the least. <laughs> And I don't just want to talk about the controversy, because that's not fair to you or to him. He's done so much good for the sport of women's basketball, and he's done a lot of good for people in general. When his player, Nikisha Sales, was two points short of breaking the team record for career points before rupturing her Achilles, he set up a stage shot with Villanova so she would have the record, and then let Villanova score uncontested so the game started at 2-2. He was also the first coach to ever donate to the Pat Summit Foundation. And, you know, they had a big, fierce rivalry. But at the end of the day, it's just sports. And, you know, what he did was more than sports. And it shows. And, you know, as we spoke about off air most recently, he spoke out in support of athletes should be granted an extra year of eligibility due to the coronavirus canceling the seasons. Yeah, there, I mean, there's a lot that goes into both of those things. Like the the thing with Nikisha, um, my dad and Harry Peretta, who is the coach at Villanova, mm-hmm. um, are are very close friends. Especially my dad, Peretta, and and Phil Martelli. That's kind of like the, the three guys, you know, the three Philly guys that they they kind of got into coaching together. Um, so that whole thing was definitely like blown so far out of proportion. Like people made it seem like, oh my God, like this is this selfish thing. Like how dare you let Nikki Shisales score this extra point. And everybody other than like the general public was in agreement that, I mean, if it wasn't for this tragic accident, Nikisha Jales was going to break that record. So, oh, without a doubt. Right. So all like both coaches agreed on it, and it was two friends agreeing on something, and they went on with their business. Yeah, I thought it was great. Um, yeah, but there were people that, for whatever reason, thought that it was like unnecessary, and it was you know number chasing or like whatever just people overreacting to something that's not worth even reacting to yeah well what was that second thing you said oh he was the first coach to donate to the pat summit foundation oh yeah that's another thing so um what a lot of people don't know is that um when i was a little kid and UConn and Tennessee were playing the Final Four. Pat Summit, his, uh, her son, Tyler, and I used to get babysat together. We, we, <laughs> because our, our parents' teams were playing against each other, and, you know, we were five years old, so we, we weren't allowed to leave the hotel. So we, we got babysat together, and people... You know, the rivalry is what it was, but um, people don't realize the amount of respect that my dad and Pat had for each other, especially what my dad had for Pat. Like, they were respectively the the two best 
people at their profession, and um, they were a lot closer than than people think they were. And uh, like I said, like we got we had the same babysitter, me and me and Tyler. That's awesome. Do you still keep in touch with Tyler? I don't. He's kind of going through, kind of going through it in the last couple of years. Yeah, seems like it. I haven't, I haven't talked to him since we were like probably like fourteen. Okay. So, Mike, as an adult, how often will you travel to watch UConn play in Final Fours? Or, and also, have you gone to the Olympics that your dad has coached in? Uh, yeah. I, well, I've been to. to answer in reverse. I've been to one Olympics in London. Okay. The, the, the next one, yeah, twenty twelve. And then after that was the Zika virus, so they didn't they didn't let anybody go to that one. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So yeah, Rio, nobody was allowed to go to. Just my, oh, my mom went, but nobody else. Final four every year. Wow. Yeah. And they make it every year, so you're there. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I haven't missed a final four other than my freshman year at St. Joe. So. The only reason I remember what year it was, it was New Orleans, and the only <clears throat> the only reason I remember it is because Caroline Doty, who's a, a close friend of mine, reminds me all the time. So that was that's the old nine final four in New Orleans. I did not go to that one. Other than that, I haven't missed the final four. Okay, and they won in an nine, so you missed out. Oh, maybe it was oh wait no that oh no they won yeah they did win. Carolina won two. Oh, eight, oh, nine. It was one of those two. I missed the one in New Orleans. I thought. Caroline technically won three. She, so they won in oh, nine, ten, and 13. 2008 was Candace Parker. The one I missed was New Orleans. That's oh, nine. Okay. That's the one that Carolina always reminds me of. <laughs> she's, one, she's one of my closest friends. Oh, that's awesome. Do you keep in touch with other members of the women's basketball team? I do, yeah. Um, I would say my my closest friends would be Caroline, uh, Sue Bird, Diane Tarazzi. Um, it's kind of like two different like parts of my life. I think. Yeah. Sue and Diana were like when I was a young young kid like working out like trying to become a basketball player I guess you would say so I think like my relationship with Sue and Diana is is more of like they're like older sisters to me mm-hmm. but um I'm definitely I'm very close with them especially um especially Diana um her and I were were very close from her her recruiting visit when she came and stayed at our house when I was twelve. She uh she challenged me to a game of horse in our in our driveway. And, I'm assuming uh, you lost. I did lose. She actually let me get to H O R S and then then she looked at me and said, This is why I'm the best player in the country and <laughs> and and then she made five straight thirty footers and and beat me multiple times. <laughs> and then we, uh, my my dad has a game 
that he invented. We just call it the five minute drill. It's just, you just play with a partner and just shoot as many threes as you can in five minutes. And uh, Diana has the record. She made, stop. <laughs> she made, she made 54 more threes than I did in five minutes. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And she also used to, she didn't play pickup with the girls and like with her teammates in the summer. She'd play with the guys' team. That's amazing. She, I'm sure she crossed them too. Yeah, she's something different. When everybody will tell you that Diana is from another planet in terms of her talent and her. I mean, she's the best. She's the best women's basketball player. That's not even close. Like to ever walk the face of the planet. Yeah. No, I'd I'd, I'd agree. I think her, Maya yeah. Moore. Yeah, I mean. Maya might be more athletic, but in terms of, like, just, like, raw basketball talent, I don't, yeah, there, there, there's nobody, and just, like, that killer mentality, like, Diana is, like, the Michael Jordan of, of women's basketball, like, there, there's not anybody that even comes close. Yeah, I'd agree. But, What's even more impressive about Diana is as good of a, obviously as good of a player as she is, she's, she's an even better friend and person. I think just the way that she like interacts with people, she's, she takes over every conversation, takes over the room. She's just a good person. Same with That's Sue. She's a, just easy people to talk to, people that you can actually, like, text. And they, they talk to me like I'm, like, their little brother. So I, I really appreciate the way that, you know, we interact and, the, you know, the relationship that we have. Yeah, that's great. Seem like great friends. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I didn't bring this up earlier, and I should have. A lot of guys don't have respect for women's basketball, whether it be like, oh, I'm, if women's basketball is on TV, oh, I'm not watching this, I'd rather watch Paint Dry. But you are someone who has obviously had tremendous respect for women's basketball because you saw it on a daily basis, the talent. I think that's so cool. Oh, yeah. Like, like, like I said, I mean, that, like, people that say that are brain dead. Like I agree. Like my dad, I, like I said before, I don't love to give my dad a lot of credit, but he he has one good quote where he said, um, "If you gave the best chess player in the world a different set of chess pieces, he would still be the best chess player in the world." So you give that—that that was his response to to someone asking if he could coach men's basketball. Mm-hmm. So then Diana responded saying, if you don't think Gino Ariamba could coach men's basketball, then you don't think that women's basketball players are basketball players. You're separating women's basketball players from men's basketball players. Mm-hmm. So someone like Diana Tarazi, she's not a women's basketball player. She's a basketball player. Absolutely. But if if you if you just think of the five people on the court as chess players, they're they're not. There's no discrepancy between male female. 
people that say shit like that, like Diana Taurasi is, I, 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 I played college basketball at two different levels. She would have started on both teams I ever played for. Wow. She, she's the most talented player I've ever seen. I don't care men, women, in terms of just basketball talent, she's the best. That's awesome. And, and there's guys that played on the UConn men's team while she was there that will tell you the same thing. She used to get picked over the guys on, like, nobody would would argue that. Ever. Yeah. That's how good she was. <laughs> yeah, she's she, amazing. She should have played men's basketball. That would have been interesting to see. I would have loved to have seen it. Oh, she could have played. I'm not saying she could have played it like Kansas, but that's just because of she wouldn't be able to guard like a six, seven, you know, small forward. Yeah. That just down to athleticism. Mm-hmm. But if you're talking about just straight up skills, oh, better than everybody. And there's, you really want to get into stories? Sure. When, tell me one. Yeah. The Olympics down in, in Rio when they were, so when my dad was still a coach down in Rio, the, the Zika virus was going on, right? So both mm-hmm. teams had to, the, the men's and women's teams had, they stayed on this like beautiful, oh, right? like cruise ship. Yeah. And Sue and Diana were telling me that every night it was like Sue, Diana, Carmelo, LeBron, Chris Paul, um, Kevin Durant. Like they were all playing cards together. And then one night, you know, they all, I'm not going to say they had a couple drinks, but whatever. <laughs> they were all hanging out. And this argument started like who, like who would win a game of King of the Hill? So like a, a one-on-one, a one-on-one, a one game. Mm-hmm. So then they went out and played. They went out and played. And Chris Paul is quoted as saying, Diana Tarazi is the most talented basketball player on the planet. Wow. Men, I don't care. Like, she is the epitome of what you, like, what, bas- like what uh, an athlete is supposed to be. She is not only more talented than everybody, but she has committed her life to, like, epitomizing her talent, mm-hmm. which I think she has... And she's told me this. She has kind of taken it on as like an obligation. Like she feels obligated to 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 show like to use her talent because she feels like if she doesn't, then why would it? Like I like if I'm this good at something, all these younger women, what are they going to look up to? Like they should look up look look up to me. And I I think that's very admirable. Yeah, she's a great role model. Great, unbelievable role model. Her and Sue and Maya and oh, for Brianna sure. Stewart, all of them are. They're, yeah, they're all great. Yeah, they're strong-willed, very, like, incredible women. Yeah, and honestly, I think Sue is in this power couple, the best sports power couple. Her and uh, Megan Rapino, <laughs> amazing. Yeah, yeah, they're, uh, especially Megan, yeah, like, with everything that's, Kind of been going on with the, uh, you know, the U.S. women's soccer team. Yeah, talk about someone that's not afraid to speak her mind. <laughs> yeah, I bet Gino and Megan get along great. 
Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Megan, uh, is definitely not afraid to speak your mind. <laughs> but like, that's what you want, right? Like you, yeah. isn't the whole point of, of having a platform like using it? Like if, if you're not doing it with the point of having it. Yeah. Hey, I agree with you. Right. Exactly. What have you been up to in your personal life since you graduated college? Um, right after I graduated college, I actually, <laughs> I moved out to Oregon and I didn't live with Caroline Doty, but, um, she works at Nike and I, I went out to, to work at Nike and, uh, lived out there for about a year and kind of realized, um, that I wanted to, to come home. I, I, I didn't want to live out there. And, uh. Ever since then, I've been working for IMG College. I've been in uh, outside sales, selling sponsorships and um, partnerships, and basically working with um, a lot of colleges and arenas and professional teams, kind of doing like, you know, when you go to a game and you see like a Chick-fil-A sign, mm-hmm. I work for a company that that puts those signs in there. Oh, so we sell cool. we sell those signs to them, yeah. Nice. And um I've also uh worked pretty closely with one of my good friends, Chris Prescott, who recently started not only a pro am league in Connecticut, but also a bunch of clinics and daily camps for boys and girls in Connecticut. Um I've just kinda helped them out with just funding and stuff. Uh, he's been doing a lot of that. Unfortunately, with everything that's been going on lately, kind of hasn't been able to do as much yeah. right now. But um, that's kind of my way of staying involved with basketball as much as I can. That's great. Yeah. Other than that, yeah, you know, just um, play a lot of golf. <laughs> oh. It's always fun. Yeah, don't really... Uh, I don't really play a ton of basketball anymore. Because if I get hurt, then I can't play golf. Yeah, stick to golf. Yeah, exactly. And you're getting married soon. Soon you're going to be a married man. That's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, as long as it doesn't get canceled. Oh, wow. I hope by September it's fine. Hope so. Yeah, we'll see. My friend is getting married in June. I'm hoping for her sake it's, you know, it's over by then. Yeah, I think I think we'll Yeah, I think we'll be okay. But you know, that's the hardest part about it right now. It's like nobody knows. Yeah, that's the toughest thing. Yeah. To answer your question, I I do um make a point to keep in touch with my dad's foreign players, like Morgan Valley, who was um a player you know, with Diana and and Sue and then like when I was a little kid. Now she's the head coach at University of Hartford. Mm-hmm. Maria Kama is the high school coach at uh, Notre Dame West Haven high school coach. Mm-hmm. But um, I do make a point to keep in touch with all of them because they had a very direct impact on my upbringing. And it's it's one big family, you know? Like, yeah. everybody, everybody kind of comes together at 
the same time every year. And this year has been weird because usually we'd we'd all be planning out, you know, like where we're gonna go at the final four. And now it's like we can't go we can't go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, that stinks. So it's uh yeah, it's kind of a weird thing, especially for I mean not only you know, our families, but um you know, even even my dad right now, I was just talking to him the other day and he was like, Yeah, but when the NCAA call when when he got the call about um the tournament getting cancelled, they told him, you know, you might want to prepare for a few months of this. Like he might not be able to go recruit. Yeah. Yeah, he'll have to do it virtually. Yeah. It's kind of a crazy, crazy situation. Like, who knows when, when this is gonna when this is gonna end? That that's the hardest part about it. Yeah, Nobody it definitely really, is. Nobody really knows what the what the end is. Let's yeah. move on to to happier things, Mike. You're bringing yeah. down the energy. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Sorry, John. So I like to end the podcast with a couple of fun questions. How does that sound to you? Love it. All right. What is your all-time favorite TV show? Friends. That's a good one. They took it off Netflix, though. You must be pissed. Yeah, but on the bright side, so I have two older sisters, and uh, how old were we? I want to say it was like, I was like 15. Whenever, whatever year it was that Friends, like they came out with the box set of all 10 seasons of Friends, my mom got me and my two sisters all 10 seasons. Oh, nice. On, D- on DVD, yeah. So, yeah, Friends is definitely my, my number one. Nice. The Office being a close second. That's a good one, too. What is your favorite professional sports team? Philadelphia Eagles. Okay. The Pats didn't get you, huh? I hate the Patriots. Oh, so you went with your dad's roots. I like it. Yeah. I was rooting for the Eagles when they won in 27. Was it 2017 or 2018? Yeah, we beat the Patriots. 2017. Okay. Yeah, in 2017, a lot of my friends live in Philly, so I was rooting for them. Good. Appreciate that. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) And last question, Mike. What's your favorite vacation spot? Avalon, New Jersey. Nice. That's by me. You guys have a beach house there, right? We we did. That's where I grew up. Very cool. Not anymore. My parents said we sold it because my oldest sister ended up having her first of now three kids. So now we have a house down in the Connecticut shoreline. Oh, cool. With with but we we do still try to get. To the Jersey Shore, like, just for, like, a week in the summer. Nice. It's always a fun time. So you go to Avalon, too? I don't, but I just in general, I go to the Jersey Shore a lot. Okay, good. <laughs> so you get it, though. Yeah, oh, absolutely. It's fun. Yeah, yeah, of course. The best. <laughs> Mike, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. I had such a fun time talking with you. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Great. Thank you. Thank you. 
All right, everyone, that was my conversation with Mike Oriema. I hope you enjoyed it. Obviously, a lot of people know him as Gino's son, but I thought it was great that he told his own story about basketball. I'll be back soon to speak with another outstanding athlete.